Hey guys, I'm Ashley. I'm Amanda. And this is Allegedly. mouth put the skin in my mouth put the skin in my mouth you know I like to eat the skin of birds any day of the week cranberry sauce and fixin I'm over here my fingers I'm licking roasted skin seasoned nice don't pass me no meat I won't say it twice put the skin in my mouth put the skin in my mouth put the skin in my mouth you like my song, I Amanda? I really like groove to it. <laughs> you did. <laughs> you good. did. It's, it's turkey good. season. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Thanksgiving. Like the skin. Thanksgiving's. I love. I love the skin in my mouth. Is that your favorite part of the Thanksgiving meal? Is the skin? Yeah, I think it is. I absolutely think. I think it is. Is it you that likes to smack the bread? Oh yeah, you got to spank the turkey. You absolutely got to spank the turkey. Huh. I don't do that. Yeah. No, that's a tradition. We spank the turkey. I thought so. Yeah. We're big on spanking turkeys. What, what's the <laughs> thing behind that? No, I have no idea. I just know that we do it. <laughs> we just do it. We yes. just, yeah. We just spank it. It was a thing. And Tammy spanks it. Tammy? Yeah. She spanks the turkey. We spank the turkey. Can you video that for me, Tammy? I really would like to see that. <laughs> do you, that's my song, though. I made it up this year because... Um, God, I love the skin in my mouth. It's it my version of the WAP. It is delicious. But I can't come up. I need to come up with a words for the WAP. W-A-P. Not, you know, not what Cardi B calls it, but not what Lardy B calls it. We're not doing wings and pizza, but we're not doing what? Wings of prey. No. No. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I sent that. I posted it on Facebook and everything. Because, put the skin in my mouth. It's it's literally, I actually, I need the skin in my mouth. We maybe should have covered somebody else since we're talking about Dahmer. Oh my god, that's highly inappropriate, Amanda. Yeah. You should stop. I'm stopped. I, I'm stopped. <laughs> I'm I'm stopped. We, wow. I didn't time this right at all. No. It's Thanksgiving's fault. It's Thanksgiving's fault. I really shouldn't have covered this series around <laughs> Thanksgiving. Oh, That's inappropriate. I really want the stuffing. I just want the skin in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back to the skin. Oh my gosh. It's been a week. Has it been a week for you? Yeah. Well, that's because you're just coming off of something else right now. We're, we're in my bathroom. Yeah. And if I you hear anything break. weird in the back... It's Lando. Because we're in my bathroom. Because Amanda needed a little vacay. Yeah. From her house. Yeah. And my breasticles are itchy. You just said that to everybody. Of course, you're not wearing a bra and it's hot in here, so you can't take off your shirt. You've got nothing on. <laughs> oh, my God. I got a concussion this week, I'm pretty sure. Oh, my God. I'm pretty sure that happened. Dropped a toe on the floor. There's an orange. Or on my head. <laughs> on the floor? Were you laying on the floor? <laughs> no. All and the, there was a creepy person watching you. Oh my god, my neighbor. In the basement. My neighbor, the creepy person who lives above me, was watching me. I don't know why. And it's then when so you looked weird. and saw him, he ran away. Yeah. That's a great story. 
Can we talk about murder now? <laughs> So we left off with, we left off with, oh, Jeffrey Dahmer was having like a hiatus, but not by his own accord. Because he couldn't lure anybody back to his pad. He could not get anybody from October 1990 to February of 1991. He was also going to his probation officer talking about like his sexuality, his lifestyle, his financial difficulties. He was also saying he had like suicidal thoughts that he was just kind of keeping to himself. I feel like he was really trying to reach out to that probation officer. I feel like they could have done a little more for him, don't you Luckily, think? Luckily, we are in part two where we're wrapping this up because you and I are going to end this with some thoughts oh. and opinions because you know how I feel about this. Yeah. But you don't know how I feel! No, I don't. So we're going to find out together. So by the time 1991... Did that come out weird? No. That sounded weird to me. 1991. I feel like that was a good year. So 1991 was dope. I feel like Michael Jordan was roaring. Roaring? Yeah. yeah. Probably all the Michaels were roaring. The Michael Jordan, Jordan Michael, Michael Jackson. Jackson. It was the roaring Michaels. And then just went downhill after 2000 with the Michaels. And then the Michaels stopped being awesome. Yeah. So. Except for I have a brother-in-law named Michael. He's he's good. He's good. Yeah. Well, there's there's a select few. It's probably like nine out of ten are bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. You know, like, nine out of ten doctors would agree. Exactly. Exactly. What a great analogy. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Anyways, 1991. So, where he lived at the time, Oxford Apartments. Uh, Which was in the bad section. It was in the bad section. Uh, other tenants of that complex had begun to, like, complain to a man called Sopa. Prince Will. And I am probably saying his first name wrong, but we're going with Sopa. It's How probably do you spell it? S-O-P-A. Yeah. Sopa? Sopa? Sopa. We're going with Sopa. Sopa. I don't I, know. I don't know. I'm just a basic white American woman who doesn't has a hard time speaking in general. So Sopa it is. Sopa it is. So he was actually the building manager Okay, and the tenants went to him to complain about a foul smell that was coming out of apartment 213. Oh, would that be Jeffrey's? That's Jeffrey's, which maybe, maybe 13 is the reason why I feel tied with him. 213? Mm. Get out of here. No. No, I don't think that's it. No, I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it. So... Actually, the tenants repeatedly told Sopa about this concern, like, over and over and over again. And he was doing anything about this? Well, they were actually... Actually. They were actually... She felt like she needed a British accent there for a hot second. <laughs> I don't know. They were... Oh, my God, you did it two times in a row. Three times a charm. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is far too much for me. You should see what we're like in the morning to record. <laughs> <laughs> have we my, really should do that over coffee. I have my shit together. I'm not sure. Um, so they were actually telling him, uh, telling Sopa, the manager, uh -huh. about objects falling 
as well as the sound of a chainsaw being used within the apartment. So, could you imagine that sound? Why would Jeffrey use that? I would be like, oh my God, somebody's going to hear this and think there's no legit reason for me to have a chainsaw going inside this apartment. Somebody is going to find out. Jeffrey Dahmer is not the only one to ever use a chainsaw in the apartment, though. That's the thing. Like, people use, like, power tools in apartments, like, like... On purpose. Table saws and shit. No, I don't know. Yeah, I saw a Fear Thy Neighbor episode where a man, he he liked to build things. And right in his living room, he set up, like, a table saw and was buzzing down wood. Like, and this was an apartment complex. Not like this, where it's just me in between two... Apartments. No, this was a complex. He had he had people on each wall that could hear him. Oh my god! So this isn't like just Jeffrey Dahmer the idiot. You know what I mean? Like, fun fact: before I moved in here, it is said that a man lived here. That the girl who used to live downstairs and the girl who currently lives upstairs, they both hated him. And he was said to use power tools like such here as well. And it was very questionable about what he was do- doing. Oh, snap. Yeah. So Okay. It's not an uncommon occurrence. But can you imagine that sound in a small... I mean, people use them in the garages. That's a loud sound. Yeah. Sweet baby Jesus. My neighbors are throwing fits about me walking. Could you imagine if they had Dahmer over here with a fucking chainsaw? That would... That's going to be my comeback. When the girl comes back and you, she messages me. At least I'm me, not using power tools. I'm going to say, sure, you can hear us walking, but at least we're not using a chainsaw in the apartment like Jeffrey Dahmer. Can I be there when you say that to her? Because it may not go very well. Oh, good thing all we do is text. Oh. Yeah. I'm not going to say it to her face. I'm not talking to her. These people are nuts. Yeah, true. True that, yo. Don't live in an apartment if you can't handle people walking above your head. Like, seriously, we're just walking. Yeah. Whatever. So, SOPA... Reached out to Jeffrey about these complaints, like, actually many times. Oh. But Jeffrey had reasons for the smell. Of course he did. So at first he said his uh, freezer broke, which I don't know if you remember the episode of Friends where Joey's refrigerator broke and he kept trying to get people to buy it. So, like, Chandler, he kept going, well, we have to get a new fridge. And Chandler's like, I don't live here anymore. And he's like... You owe me half for our fridge. It's broken. And Chandler's like, I don't live here anymore. So then he threw Ross into it. And he goes, Ross, you broke my fridge. And Ross goes, how do you even know it's broken? He opens it up and he goes, that has been broken a while. (laughs) (laughs) And then Chandler goes, Chandler goes, I just saw you throw him into the fridge. And Joey goes, I still need your half for the fridge. (laughs) I don't like friends. I love friends so much. Oh my gosh. You would find it hilarious. I don't know what your problem is. I really like Phoebe. Oh, Phoebe Buffet. Yeah, when I was younger, people used to be like, oh, you really look like her. I don't think I look like her at all. I don't see that at all. Me either. And I've seen pictures of you when you were younger. Yes. I don't know what that... They're blind. Anyway, he said that things in his fridge, or in his freezer, were... Which, really, that would be believable. Yeah, he said they're spoiled. But then he also... <laughs> he also then one time stated that his tropical fish had died and he hadn't gotten around to removing them yet. But he said either way, he'll take care of the situation. So Also believable. It is, it is believable, but... 
Whose fish die and they don't take care of it instantly? He's like, I'll get to that at some point. Somebody that's lazy? I, I guess. I mean, we know Dahmer's not lazy. <laughs> He's no. clearly not lazy. Not something I would label him as. No. 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 So in 1991, he began to hit his stride again. I feel like I want to cheer, but that's not good. That's that's not, not what we're good. supposed to hear. Nope. 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 No cheering. No cheering. Um, so he actually observed a 17-year-old named Curtis Strotter. Um, he was standing at a bus stop near Marquette University. It was February 18th, 1991, when he lured Curtis to his apartment by offering him money to pose for nude photos. And uh, there was a little added incentive... Which was sexual intercourse. Oh. So Jeff drugged Curtis, per usual, cuffed his hands behind his back, and then strangled him to death with a leather strap. Before or after the intercourse? Honestly, I do not know. I, I honestly don't have an answer for that. It didn't say. I'm assuming Jeff is kind of like the impatient type. Let's get the ball going he doesn't have time for especially if the other guy is not putting up a you know if he's not yeah. worried about it yeah so he didn't wait at all he dismembered the body right away he took pictures of each stage of the process for whatever reason are these like his trophies? Like he just likes to keep them as memoirs or... I don't know. I will look I mean, back at it again. I don't know because it seems like he has a lot of trophies. He's like, keeping body parts. He's keeping skulls. Is he he's like... He's keeping pictures but not only like nude photo pictures. Is he using these pictures and mementos to like pleasure himself? I'm going to go ahead and say yeah. Because we know that he's masturbating over everything. So I think he's keeping multiple trophies and multiple usage to masturbate to. So is it the dead bodies in the pictures that makes him aroused? No, I don't know. Or is it just that they're men? I am not a therapist. I could not tell you. Hmm. I could not tell you. But he. I, it seems like all of this gets him off. Do you know what I mean? Isn't there a term for that? There's got to be. I don't know. Necrophilia? Yes! But that's having sex with the body. I think he does that too, doesn't he? He did that one time, yeah. Yeah. He did that one time. So he ended up keeping Curtis's skull, hands, and genitals. The balls and the rod? Yeah, but remember he did that before, early on when he was keeping it in that box that he kept at his work right, before he right, moved in. Right, right, yeah, so right. So that's not new. That's not new. So on April 7th, 1991, Jeff encountered 19-year-old Iral Lindsay. Who was walking to get a key cut. Oh. You know, he needed a key. I think him and his family needed a key and he was going to get that made. Um, but I think it's important to note that Iral was heterosexual. What does that mean? He wasn't gay? You don't know what heterosexual means? Get him all confused. Yes, he was straight. He Why was not gay. Why can't we just say he was just not gay? He was not gay. Oh, perfect. I know what that means. Somehow, though, Jeffrey lured this man How? back to his apartment. No, I don't know. I don't know. I think Jeffrey was super charming. I think he was just, like, a likable guy. That it has to be been. the answer. Yeah, it has to be. Because how be. else would, would you do it? I don't know. Yeah. He got him back to the apartment. He drugged him. However, 
Jeffrey then changed his routine. Why? I'm not sure because it's been working. Why yeah. are you changing it? Maybe he got bored. Maybe he needed to just see if something else would do the job. I actually do know why. Oh, why? Jeffrey had like abandonment issues, clearly. So what? He just didn't want people to leave him? He didn't want people to leave him. He wanted him to stay and be wanting to be with him. So I'll explain. Jeff ended up drilling a hole into Iral's skull and then poured hydrochloric acid into it. Do you know what that is? Why? It's a bleaching agent. So later, after his arrest, psychiatrist Dr. Frederick Fosdell, who was hired by prosecutors to examine Jeffrey, said, quote, he, Jeffrey, had hoped to control and keep them, all these victims, around longer by making them zombie-like, end quote. That's not a thing. Right. Well, Jeffrey thought that he could keep them in, like, a zombie-like state, like, not kill them, but not make them, have them be aware to what was going on. Therefore, they would stay with him and he'd be happy because somebody would be with him. Willingly, except I feel like he could have just given somebody a chance, like to. I know, but people have just left him so much in his life. I don't think there was a way for him to have a chance. We're getting too much into my opinions here, but I mean, I don't understand where his mother was supposed to love him, and she just up and left. Do you see what I mean? His father did love him, but he wasn't around much. No, no, yeah, no. I, I. His father loved him and. Did he really want him around? He wanted him to go to college. He shipped him off to the army. I feel like all of that, while that's normal stuff, to Jeffrey may have been like, you're just trying to get rid of me. Where did he get the idea of a zombie? I don't don't know. So essentially he was trying to put them into like a permanent submissive state. So Jeffrey later said that Iral woke up after this experiment saying... I have a headache. What time is it? Are you serious? Yeah. Jeff didn't answer. So he then decapitated. Oh my God. Yep. That's where I would go with that. No. Wouldn't. wouldn't. And then kept his skull. He then flayed the body. On purpose. Do you know what that means? Filleted it? Yeah. Yeah. He cut cut the... Oh no. Not filleted it. Flayed it. No, I took the skin off. He skinned it. (laughs) Yeah. On purpose. Mm -hmm. He was trying to do that. Mm -hmm. No. Which? No. And you just sang the skin song. I honestly, I feel bad about that now. You still love the skin, don't you? (laughs) I do. Um, He placed the skin in a solution of cold water. And salt for several weeks in hopes of, like, permanently keeping it. See? I don't want to permanently keep it. I just I just want to eat it. Not... The turkey skin. Yeah, the bird skin. Yeah. That's different. That's different. That's legal. Yeah. This is not... Well, we'll get to that, too. After a while, though, he had to dispose of it because it came too brittle, which I'm assuming salt will do that. Yeah, wouldn't it break down? Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna move on. Okay. Uh, 
And this next victim is is a hard one for me. Why? I didn't know the person, but I feel like I know the person. I'm a little confused. <clears throat> so this next, uh, those of you who saw it, um, and Amanda will be after our series is over, will understand where I'm going with this. Um, in the series of Dahmer, in episode six um, of Monster, the Dahmer story, this victim is uh, the entire episode. This is the episode. Um, and this episode made me cry. And I hate everything about it. Uh, but I want to make it clear that there are some inconsistent stories about this victim. Some people say that this victim and Jeffrey knew each other for up to like a year before his murder. Dahmer himself says that's not the case. The Netflix show indicated that there was a possible... <laughs> I'm not saying possible. It indicated a relationship between the two men. Okay. Like okay. A, a consensual, <laughs> sexual relationship. Um, but that's never been proven. Obviously, some parts of the show are just fictional. Uh, and a lot of, but a lot of the parts are true. Some sources have claimed before that Tony's mother mentioned her son had found a new job two weeks before his murder. And Tony apparently told his mom that his employer's name was Jeffrey. I don't know if that means Dahmer or if the boss just happened to have the same first name. Jeffrey is a common name. It is a very common name. <clears throat> so I can't tell you if he was working. I mean, his boss clearly wouldn't be Jeffrey. Jeffrey was working at the um, chocolate factory. Yeah, and he wasn't must, a boss. Right. It must have just been a coincidence that the boss's name was also Jeffrey. Right. I don't think Jeffrey Dahmer had any rights as, like, even a manager. So yeah. I don't think that's it. But anyway, regardless of all the missing pieces, on May 24th, 1991, Jeffrey saw 31-year-old aspiring model Tony Hughes at Club 219. Was Tony, that a gay bar? Yeah. Okay. Tony was lured, like... Everybody else back to Jeffrey's apartment with the offer to pose for photographs for money. Being an aspiring model, that's something that he would probably. But I'm going to tell you what, a lot of Jeffrey Dahmer's victims are aspiring models. And I don't know if Jeffrey Dahmer knew that. And that's why he was using this ruse to get them there. He must have known. How do you know that without like knowing your victims? Well, I mean, if you're there in a bar, maybe he heard a conversation. Maybe. So just like many others, Tony was drugged into an unconscious state. Because then Jeffrey tried his experiment again. And he injected hydrochloric acid into Tony's skull. However, this time the drilling and the injection were actually fatal. Um... <clears throat> I, uh, this, uh, Tony, Tony Hughes was deaf. Yeah. Did he wear a hearing aid? No, no, no. No, he was deaf. He carried around a notebook to write to people. Oh, um, okay. It is said that him and 
Jeffrey actually shared notes back and forth. The episode does depict this. Um, again, the episode depicts a very different death for Tony. Um, it's not right. It's not, it's not accurate. Um, and it really calls into question whether the relationship was accurate. I'm sure Tony's family would be like, absolutely not. But I, I don't, I don't know for certain. I don't know if anybody really knows for certain. There's such conflicting sources. So has Jeffrey ever spoke on the subject before he, he was killed? Not really. No. Um, yeah, so the next victim is where Glenda Cleveland comes into our story. Oh, I don't know who that is, but I'm intrigued. So the Netflix show kind of really just centers around her. So the Netflix show shows that she lives in the Oxford Apartments. That's not true. Oh, okay. She actually was his neighbor, not in the same apartment building, but in a separate building next door. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, I, I it makes a bigger difference. The uh, Netflix show, like I said, that's part of it. Like, she never smelled the smells, things like that. So, I'm not going to go into her too much because a lot of people know the Jeffrey Dahmer story. Um, and I just don't, I don't want to reiterate and retell it. So, what I will say is that Glenda was persistent when trying to get the police to listen to her about the concerns she had about Jeffrey Dahmer. She hmm. actually was relentless. But she was also pushed aside. So Glenda Cleveland, I'm going to state it for the record, was a black woman. But that was the type of neighborhood that he lived in. It was prominently black. Yeah. Um, And the officers were prominently not. They were white. Um, And what I have gathered, not only from the Netflix series, but from research and things I know, uh, I'm going to call it. They were racist. See a white guy with a black girl complaining, they're going to take the side of the white guy before even investigating. Yeah. And you'll, you'll see. You'll, you'll see. So. I don't like anything about that. Yeah, I don't either. Had the police listened to Jeff, had listened to her though about Jeffrey, he actually could have been stopped almost a full two months earlier. Wow. That would have saved anywhere between like four to five men's lives. Yeah. Wow. So. I, I want to apologize right now because I, for the life of me, have a really hard time saying this this next man's last name. But on May 26th, 1991, Jeffrey came upon 14-year-old Laotian Conric Synthesamphone. Oh, sounds right. Sounds, sounds good. Yeah. Uh, he was walking down the street. And Jeffrey didn't know it then. But this 14-year-old was actually the younger brother of the boy he molested back in 1988, or 1988, when he... Wait, did you say 14? Yeah, this boy's 14. No. For real. Yeah. His older brother, back in 1988, was molested by Jeffrey Dahmer, and Jeffrey Dahmer was sent to prison, remember? He was sent to jail for like a year. This is his brother. Did he know Jeffrey? Oh my god. Uh, he may have, now that I think about it, but I don't know. I think he's he's a few years younger, so they may have kind of kept it away from him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and assume he did not know Jeffrey, but mind you, this is 1988, it's now 1991. You know? Oh my so. god. Jeffrey walked up to the teenager. Jeffrey didn't even realize it was hit who it was, so he didn't know at the time either. 
But he walked up to the teenager, offered him money to accompany him to his apartment and pose for pictures. And he did it? And according to Dahmer, the teen was actually hesitant, but changed his mind. So back at Jeffrey's apartment, Conorak posed for two pictures in his underwear before Jeffrey began his routine. So he drugged the boy, led him to his bedroom, where the body of Tony Hughes still was, by the oh way. Oh, my God. Um, Tony Hughes was killed three days prior to this, and Tony Hughes laid on the floor naked, dead. According to Jeffrey, he, quote unquote, believed that the boy saw the body, but he didn't react to seeing a bloated corpse. Why? I'm assuming it's because he was already drugged. Drugged. Yeah, that was I mean, that's, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Had to have been one. That had to be one. So, after that, Conorak went unconscious. So that's when Jeffrey drilled a single hole into, like, the crown of his skull. And then he injected hydrochloric acid into the frontal lobe. And how did this patient react? Well, um, I don't know right offhand. Uh, what I do know is after doing that, Jeffrey Dahmer decided that he was thirsty. So he went to the kitchen to get some water? Yeah, he actually drank several beers while just laying with the teen. In fact, then Jeffrey fell asleep with the teen. I'm sorry. I don't really have any words because I'm... So then Jeffrey woke up and decided that he needed more alcohol. So he left to go get more alcohol. While the teen was still laying in his bed unconscious. Yeah. On the bed or on the floor, I'm not really exactly sure of the location. Okay. Interesting. So now, in the early morning hours of May 27th, when Jeff came back to his apartment building, he found that... Conorak was sitting on the corner. <gasps> of of the block? Uh, of like where the apartment building was? Outside of the apartment building. Uh, he was naked and he was mumbling. And uh, mumbling to a couple of young women actually. <gasps> oh my God, what happened? Yeah. So there were actually a few young ladies. Um... And the young ladies seem to kind of be in distress while standing near him because you have a naked young man who's mumbling. mumbling. Uh, and I'm so, sure he had a hole drilled in his head. Well, I mean, he had hair, so it's not like he buzzed off the hair. Uh, so Jeff frantically, like, walked up to them and said that this boy was actually his 19-year-old boyfriend named John. No, that's... That's incorrect. So... Did they believe him? No. So Jeffrey actually tried to take Conorak by the arm and lead him back into the apartment. But the girls, Sandra Smith and Nicole 
Chid childress? Childless. Chid. Okay. I don't know how to say her last name, but these two girls actually told Jeffrey that they phoned 911. Oh, snap. Yeah. No, he, he, did he get frantic and worried? Oh, he was not happy. Oh, And shit. he made that known. Uh, but two Milwaukee police officers showed up. John Balserzak. Sure. And Joseph Gabrush. They showed up. And so when they pulled up, Jeff's frantic demeanor seemed to just poof, be gone. Are you serious? Yeah. So he just seemed totally normal, not... Yeah. Yep. He was his charming self. And he just told the officers the same thing he told the young girls, that the young man was his 19-year-old boyfriend, John. That's and John. this boy couldn't speak for himself. He was mumbling. He was not coherent. The boy was drugged and then a drill in his head and hydrochloric acid in his frontal lobe. Yeah, so he, yeah, he wasn't right. No. So Jeffrey also said that the teen had, you know, drank way too much Jack Daniels whiskey after an argument that they had had. And for added measure, Jeff said that his boyfriend frequently behaved in this manner when intoxicated. Which is what? Went outside naked and sat in the street mumbling? I do want to point something out, though. Oh, my God. You ready? I want to point out that researchers from Harvard Business School determined that liars trying to deceive tend to stretch the truth with too many words. Really? Yeah. So, since such a liar may make up things as they go, they may also tend to add excessive detail to convince themselves or others what they're saying. Just saying. Huh. Makes perfect sense. Do you understand yep, why I put that I in there? Yep. 100%. 100, 100%. Yep. Yep. Does that explain anything about other people? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. So the officers seem to actually not notice any injuries to Conorak, aside from like a scraped knee. Huh. They didn't look that closely, did they? The girls, however, tried to point out to the officers that Conorak had... Blood on his testicles and was bleeding from his rectum. Ouch. I don't know how that happened. Well, if it was penetrated. Not a good enough reason to use the word penetrate. (laughs) (laughs) Did you not like using that? Did that not taste good to you? No. You didn't like the penetration word? No. Not like shouldn't use that word. It's really unnecessary penetration yeah you don't like that all right the girls also told the officers that the boy seemed to struggle against Jeff when he tried to take him back into the apartment building like he didn't want to go like struggle right yeah he was like trying not to have that happen and did the police officers believe these well here's what I'm going to tell you because I've already said it. I'm going to say it again. Racist. Prominently black neighborhood. And these girls were black. Yes. So I'm going to let you decide. About yeah, what's they going were probably on. like, these yeah, were, he's fine. These were white officers. Yeah. So I will let you decide what you think was going on here when one of the officers turned to the girls and said in response to her pointing out these injuries, but out. Yeah. He then told the girls not to interfere. Uh... But Lester checked they were on the scene. 
Yeah, they should have been included in that whole conversation because they're the ones that even called the cops. They're the ones that called the cops. They're the ones that found the young man. Uh, they should be questioned. No. Yeah. So you can kind of see where this is going. Yeah. I'm not going to linger here because this case is super well known. All you need to know is that the police escorted Jeff and his victim back to apartment 213. Oh my God. He was so close to getting away. Yeah. This is where Jeff told the police that he appreciates them doing their job because he understands there's a lot of crime in the area. No, he didn't. He sure did. Certainly did. Oh my God. Inside his apartment. And again, going into far too much detail. Jeff decided to show the police the nude photos of his victim. And why? Because he was trying to prove that's his boyfriend, John. And so he's proving that they're lovers. Oh my God. So when in the apartment, Officer Gabrish did smell something that he later said was reminiscent of excrement inside the apartment. Now, may I remind you that in Jeff's bedroom was Tony Hughes's body that was three days dead. So later, Jeffrey Dahmer stated that to investigate this odor, one officer simply peeked his head around the bedroom, but didn't really take a good look. Oh my gosh. The officers then told Jeff to, quote unquote, take good care of the young man and left. It could have ended then. It could have ended then. I'm really surprised you have not said that up to this point. Because there are so many times it could have ended yeah. then. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, so you know how I feel about police. Yes. And their jobs, Amanda. Yes. Icing on the cake? Yeah. You ready? Yeah. This is This incident was actually listed by these officers as a... Domestic dispute? Yep. Oh my god, he was 14. They didn't ask for his ID or nothing? No, he's a 19-year-old boyfriend, John. He's clearly what that is because that's what Jeffrey says. Because that's what the white boy said. Yep. yep. That's disgusting. So no sooner did the police leave, like, I, I'm betting they weren't even out of the building, and Jeff again injected hydrochloric acid into his victim's brain, which killed Conorak. The following day, May 28th, Jeff decided to call into work to take the day off. I don't know if that was like a mental health day or if he was sick. It's actually not what it was at all. No. He actually wanted some time off to dismember the two bodies that he now had in his apartment. Of course he did. One of which I'm going to remind you that now Tony has been dead for four days. Can you imagine the smell? How could he sm stay there with that smell? He had, yeah, I mean, he's grown up with it. He was having dead animals, remember? He Ugh. was gathering roadkill. Ugh. No, I can't. I can't. So Jeff performed his normal routine in the dismemberment, and he did keep both skulls. I'm not really sure why. Although I have a suspicion. Jeff decided to drive an hour and a half to Chicago on June 30th, 1991. Why? I have a suspicion. This is where he met 20-year-old Matt Turner at a bus station after a gay pride parade. Oh. 
Okay. Jeff offered to bring the man who was an aspiring model. Aren't they all? Back to Milwaukee for a professional photo shoot. Polaroid professional. In apartment 213. In in the ghetto. In apartment 213 (laughs) in the uh, black crime neighborhood. (laughs) And dead fish in my tank. (laughs) Professional. (laughs) Unfortunately, Matt agreed. Stupid, stupid Matt. I, we can't say that. Oh. He's such a victim. Yes. I feel bad for him. Was he, how old was he? Do we know? Yeah, 20. 20. Okay. Back at the apartment, Jeff wasted zero time. He got right to it, didn't he? He did. He drugged him. He strangled him. He dismembered him. Sure did. He then placed the man's head and internal organs in separate plastic bags and then stored them in the freezer, which works, by the way. This freezer works. Uh, on July 5th, 1991, Jeffrey lured 23-year-old Jeremiah Weinberger from a Chicago gay bar called Carol's Speakeasy. He took him back to his apartment saying he would spend the weekend with him. However, Jeffrey drugged the man before injecting boiling water into his skull twice. Yeah, that's different. Boiling water? Yeah. What did he think that was going to do? I don't know. It seems as though the hydrochloric acid was killing them. So he was like, boiling water will do the trick. So it actually sent Jeremiah into a coma for two days before he died. So Jeff then went on to use his chainsaw to dismember the body and then put his torso into a barrel full of acid. On July 15th, 1991, Jeff met 24-year-old Oliver Lacey. Oliver Lacey. Yes. And he met him on the street. And Oliver agreed to go back to Jeff. Yeah. Uh, For posing for new photo. Yep. So when they got to Jeff's apartment, they engaged in sexual activity before Jeffrey went about drugging the man. I'm sure why sometimes we're having sexual intercourse and sometimes we're just like pouncing yeah with the drug i don't know what the purpose is here of anything that jeffrey is doing yeah it's all over the place it is so weird i don't i don't get it i don't either um so this time around jeffrey actually wanted to keep his victim alive as long as possible so that they could spend more time together this one, that I understand, because they had a sexual relationship. Like, they engaged in sex before he did anything. So, so he attempted to make Oliver unconscious by using chloroform. But that did not work. Oh, gosh. So he realized he needed some time, so he called off of work for the day. Calling off a lot. I'm telling you, I'm being awfully skeptical now about people who are calling off. Because I'm... <laughs> It's probably a really good thing that I'm not a boss. I'd be like, you're dismembering somebody, aren't you? <laughs> that's not funny. And I would never hire anybody that's named Jeffrey. I'd be like, I know. If the 90s taught me anything, I know. Calling off of work, your name is Jeffrey. 
You're calling off far too much. My dad's name is Jeffrey. Oh my God. But he not rarely called off work. He mm-hmm. was a worker. So, uh, when he called off work, they actually obliged. They're like, yeah, sure. Have the day off. The day after, they suspended him. So, <laughs> they, they did not want him to see that coming. Yeah. So, he strangled Oliver. And then, normally, about now, he would dismember the body. Yeah, that's his normal pattern. Yeah. What did he do? He had sex with it. First. He he had sex with the corpse. It was corpse sex. It was live person on corpse, dead sex. No, nope, that's necrophilia. Is what it was. No. And, and then he dismembered the body. He then placed Oliver's head and heart in the refrigerator... And his skeleton in the freezer. I want to know how big your freezer is. What? Yeah. And is there nothing else in it? I I just have a regular refrigerator. Yeah, same. I can barely fit a turkey in there. Yeah, same. What? what, what, what did he have a you deep have chest freezer? Ha- no. Well, what? I don't understand. Are they in like little bitty pieces? I don't know. He had a head in there. I don't I don't know. Four days later, on July 19th, Jeffrey was told that he was actually fired from his job. Oh. They're That's like, what happens when you don't go to work, my friends. No more chocolate making for you. I don't know what I would do if I was one of the people who ate any of that chocolate. I was just thinking, what if he, like, took something to work? No, he didn't. I don't think he did that. We're not. I will never buy chocolate again. Although, did you know that there's, like, spider legs and shit in chocolate? There's yeah. Do you know you eat at least eight spiders a year in your sleep? Yeah. I don't like any of that. Yeah. We're done. We're going to move on. So, you would think after losing his job, he would be sulking a little bit. People do. How's he going to pay for these rent? beers or pay for anything? Yeah. Beer. Yeah, no. He, uh, he did not go out looking for a job or sulk. He went out and lured 25-year-old Joseph Bradhoff from a bus stop near the Marquette University campus back to his apartment. Where instantly he strangled the man. Didn't even drug him first? No. He then left him um, laying on his bed for two days. Just left him there. And then on July 21st, Jeff removed the sheets to find that Joseph's head was covered in maggots. Ooh! Does he not sleep in this bed? Did he? Why did it take him removing the sheets to find out that there was maggots in his... It was literally the next day. That's so foul. Yeah. Yeah. Maggots. Yeah. I mean, it is July. It's hot. It's hot in Milwaukee. It's hot. So, Jeff went about decapitating the body. He cleaned the head and then placed it in the refrigerator. My God, how many shelves does he have in there? Why? Oh my gosh. He put the man's torso in the barrel of acid. Um, which, by the way, the barrel of acid was in his bedroom in the corner. I have a photo. 
Yeah. That's a normal thing I keep in my room, too. A big, a, it's a big. Where did he get it? And how did he get it into his room? I don't know where you, where you get the um, big barrels like that. Uh, I can't you just get that at like Lowe's? I guess I'm bringing up the photo right now. There it is. Have you ever yeah. seen them? Yeah, you can get those at Lowe's. I think so. How does the acid not go through there? Is it meant to hold acid? How does it? Yeah, you would think that it would eat away at that plastic. Maybe it's meant meant to. Maybe it was. Maybe it was meant to. I'm not sure. What? Um, that's gross. I'm just. I mean. So he didn't eat or use his fridge for food. Oh God, no. I'm assuming he ate out or something. I don't know. Everything in his fridge and freezer were just body parts and heads and uh, skeletons. So, Gross. on July 22nd, 1991, Jeffrey approached three men with the offer of $100 now. He doesn't work. Where is he going? Oh, he's not going to give it to him anyways. Who are we kidding? To accompany him back to his apartment to pose for those nude photos, drink beer, and simply just keep him company. He was like, I'm going to take some really awesome nude photos of you men. We're going to drink some beer and we're just going to chill. You're just going to hang out with me. Hundred bucks. No. Red flag. Only one of the three agreed. It was 32-year-old Tracy Edwards. He now found himself in Jeff's apartment. He did notice the foul odor. He also noticed several boxes of hydrochloric acid on the floor. And I quickly want to point out that I am 99.9% positive that Tracy Edwards here is the man that everybody is portraying in their TikTok videos when they make videos. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. I'm pretty sure that's the one. So Jeff asked Tracy to come look at his fish. The dead ones? No, they're alive. Remember, he just needed an excuse. Oh, they're not dead. So Tracy went and looked at the fish. And when they when he did that, Jeff bada bing, bada boom, handcuffed him. Just one wrist, handcuffed him. Why? I don't know. Is he making this stuff up as he goes? Or does I he like have a plan? No. Or he just yeah, we'll yeah. see. His plan? Hundred dollars, nude photos, drink beer. Spend time with me. Get back to the apartment. Death. Done. <laughs> don't know what to do. We're going to wing it. He's got, like, his M.O. is all over the place here. Yeah. It, and he just, and he, he doesn't, he sure as hell does not have OCD. Not at all. No. Um, so he's had many, many victims. Is there reports in the news about these people going missing or, like, has yeah. anybody seen so-and-so? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to remind you, uh, most of these victims are, um, a lot of people like to say they're black, uh, but not all of them are black. A couple, uh, a couple of them were Laotian. Okay. But they're dark skinned. They're, I'm going to go minority. They're minorities. Okay. The first two, Stephen, um, Hicks and Stephen Tuomi, those, they were white. 
But I don't think Jeffrey meant to do either one of them. I think. I don't think. So, you know, what? Jeff was very into uh, definitely black male bodies. He loved that. Just like you. <laughs> was that was that the wrong? I do. I do love the, the chocolate and the sauce. James. <laughs> Once you go black, you never go back. Stop all of that right now. Sorry. <laughs> that. Mm-mm. Let's go back to this. Okay. That took a weird turn. So, it was actually, he only handcuffed one of Tracy's hands because he was unsuccessful at getting the other wrist. But then he told... Tracy Edwards, hey, accompany me to the bedroom where we'll do the nude photo shoot. It's always got to be in the damn bedroom. Yeah. So I'm going to lay this out for you. Jeff's room. It's crowded in there. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, a little bit. But it was donned with posters of nude men. Where does one buy posters of nude men? I would assume they had... I would assume they have that stuff at the adult bookstore. Oh, right. I forgot about those places. I would assume. I've only ever been there one time, so... And I didn't really take a too big of a look around. Yeah. Same, actually. Same. It was a little bit... Eh, I'd like to leave now. <laughs> I would not be against going back, but I would be uncertain of what to do once I walked through the doors. And I would How do you shut act? down immediately. I would... I would shut down immediately. I'm pretty sure. I'm. I would need to be pushed around. I think we should go together, and Tara should tape. No, can't, Tara can't. No, go. Tara. Absolutely no. not. What is wrong with you? Somebody needs to video us doing this. <laughs> we don't have any friends. <laughs> Patrick. <gasps> Patrick. I never met Patrick, but I'm. I'm open to this idea. I always forget that you've never met Patrick. No, you drove my kids on the bus. You've met me. He is literally the. Gay male version of me. Yeah, we would probably really like each other. Yeah, he would video us, right? Uh, would he go there? We he may not right. be able to tell us. We fiance. need to come back. We okay. need to pull it we back. need to hone it in here. We, we need, need to, to hone back. it in. Okay, so <clears throat> are you picturing? I'm sadly picturing. Okay, so nude posters of nude men, and on the television. He was playing the VHS version of The Exorcist 3. Why? I'm not sure. But in the corner of was the, the room, barrel, Tracy noticed the uh, 57 gallon drum. And he also noticed a god awful smell coming from it. Yep. So at that point, Jeffrey decided to bring out a knife. Oh, of course he did. And that informed Edwards that they were going to take pictures. With the knife? Yeah. I don't really know what that was about. I don't know. He just brandished a knife and then said, we're taking nude photos. So are we taking it with the knife or am I just threatening you? I'm really unsure. I think Jeffrey was unsure. So in an attempt to like appease Jeffrey... Like, just kind of make him happy. 
He did what exactly? He unbuttoned his shirt saying he would allow him to take the pictures if he removed the handcuffs and put away the knife. Which seems logical, right? Yeah, it seems like something my brain might come up with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, this is what we were supposed to do anyway. So just put this shit away and we'll do what we got. You don't need to handcuff me to do it. I'm willing to do it. You don't need the knife. That's a little scary. Let's just not do that. And did Jeffrey agree? So. It's never good when you start it out like that. In response to this, Jeffrey simply turned his attention to the TV of The Exorcist 3. In what way? Uh, Tracy saw Jeffrey rocking back and forth and chanting before turning his attention back to Tracy. So I don't know what's happening here. Is he possessed? <laughs> no, what's going what on? What is going on? I know. So he then, Jeffrey then just laid his head on Tracy Edwards' chest to listen to his heartbeat. And took the knife and just pressed it against him. This is going somewhere odd. And then, during this little weirdness, Jeffrey just said, you know, I I plan on eating your heart. He, wait, what? He, he said what now? I'm, Out loud? I'm, on purpose? Yeah. I'm gonna... He wanted him to hear that? I'm going to eat your heart. He's listening to his heart. And he's got the knife pressed against him. He's like, yeah, dude. I'm just... I'm gonna eat your heart. Sure did. What do you do with that? Literally? He was literally going to eat the heart. Yeah. And he told him. I mean... That's what he told him. Can, can he run away fast like a bunny? Tracy? Yeah. Uh, Tracy asked if he could, like, just sit with Jeff and have a beer in his living room. He was. Tr- I think he was trying to defuse. Yeah. Which is sure. super smart. He didn't panic. Yeah. I would have panicked. Um, there was air conditioning in the living room. So Tracy's like, dude, it's a little little hot in here. Can we go to where the air conditioning is? And I'm a little parched. Can we have a drink? Jeff is like, absolutely. Let's do that. Absolutely. However, Tracy seems a little smart because he had a plan. So he asked Jeff if he could use the bathroom. And when Tracy got up, he noticed that Jeffrey was not holding the handcuffs. So Tracy punched him. And then hightailed it out of the apartment. I do want to say, though, it was a little difficult to hightail it out of the apartment. There were a lot of locks on Jeffrey's door. Oh, my God. And I don't think he locked them all. But to figure out which ones he did But I think that Tracy, just by, like, luck of the draw, chose the right lock or whatever. Oh, my God. And he left. So, it was at 11.30 p.m. on... Oh, I did not catch that. On July 22nd. Oh, that means nothing to me. Oh, okay. What did you not catch? I thought it said July 26th and I was like, oh, that's weird. 
Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> it was July 22nd, 1991. Tracy managed to flag down two Milwaukee police officers. Were they white? Of course. Robert Roth and Rolf... What? You said that wrong. Did I? I don't know. What? How do you spell it? Rolf. Rolf. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you're Rolf. How do you spell it? R-O-L-F. Rolf. (laughs) On purpose? That's his name on purpose. His parents (laughs) named him that on purpose. Rolf. Is that right? Is that how you say it? Rolf? <laughs> this doesn't sound like words or sounds your mouth should make. Roll on lava floor. <laughs> Rolf? <laughs> he should not have... He should not have become a police officer. Officer Rolf. <laughs> Stop, Landon. I can't. Oh, gosh. Officer Rolf. (laughs) Rolf. I'm so sorry, Rolf. (laughs) What was his last name? Or was that his last name? No, that's his first name. (laughs) You guys okay? No. (laughs) What was his last name? Smith? Summoned the little one again. Smith? No. <laughs> Rolf Mueller. Rolf Mueller. Oh, maybe he was German. Rolf sounds like a German or Austrian name. Oh, God. Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry. We're back. We're composed. Sort of. We're composed. So we had officers Robert Rolf and Rolf Mueller. So they saw that Tracy Edwards had the handcuffed attached to his wrist. And? Tracy told them that, quote, unquote, a freak had placed the handcuffs on him. And, of course, he was like, can you take these off? They wouldn't. They couldn't. They didn't have the key. Their key didn't fit it. So they had to go back. (gasps) Tracy was like, oh, well, we need to take these off. So he and the officers went back to Dahmer's apartment. I don't think that's what they should have done. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else they were going to do. Uh, so when the officers and Tracy arrived, Jeff just said, hey, guys. What's crackalacking? Come on in. Uh, no. And then he acknowledged, yes, I did place those handcuffs on that man. He didn't have a reason why? Absolutely not. He was like, yep, did that. Couldn't tell you why. Just felt like it. Felt like I should do that. That was one wrist. That wasn't a red flag to anybody. So, well, Tracy also told the police that Jeff had taken out the large knife while in the bedroom, right? Jeff had nothing to say about that either. But he did to- tell Officer Rolf that the key to the handcuffs were it was in his bedside table, little like dresser thing. So the officers went to the bedroom. Oh, no. And Jeff tried to, like, pass them to go get the key himself. But Officer Ralph told Jeff, back off. 
This is where we are in this. You have not been counting victims. No. So you don't know where we are. So in the bedroom, Mueller said that there was the large knife beneath the bed. He saw an open drawer that contained what he said a magnitude of Polaroid pictures. Uh, many of which that were actually human bodies in various stage of dismemberment. So Mueller noted the decor indicated that they had been taken in the same apartment that they were standing in, which super good catch. He also walked into the living room to show his partner uttering the words, these are for real. Like he could not even imagine what he was seeing. He was like, what the fuck is this? So when Jeffrey saw the officer was holding several of the Polaroids, he realized he was in some trouble. Oh, that's when it kicked in? Yeah. So that's when he decided to fight with the officers to resist arrest that was going to be happening here. So the police were like, ah, super sketchy reaction. And they overpowered him and cuffed him while calling for backup. So then Officer Mueller, poor Ralph. He opened the refrigerator. Oh, no. And that's where he found the freshly shaven head of a black male on the bed on shelf. And as Jeff laid pinned on the floor by his partner, he turned his head to the officers and said, for what I did, I should be dead. And I just want to point that out because I feel like that is him going... Finally. Yes, I feel like finally caught. Like yeah. I'm I I know that I've done wrong. Just kill me now. Cause I deserve it. Yeah. So later on, a search of the apartment, a very good search of the apartment, revealed a total of four severed heads in his kitchen. A total of seven skulls. Some were painted, some were bleached. I don't know. They were found in his bedroom, also inside of, like, a closet. Uh, Investigators found a collection of, like, uh, a dripped blood on a tray. Uh, Think of, like, a tray catching, like, um, oh, God. Turkey juice to make a gravy. This is what he was doing with the drip blood. He was collecting the drippings. At the bottom of his refrigerator. They also found two human hearts and a portion of arm muscle. Each of them were wrapped inside plastic bags and just sitting on the shelf. In his freezer, investigators discovered an entire torso. In an... An entire torso, as well as a bag of human organs and flesh that stuck to the ice at the bottom of the Was Jeffrey ever asked what he was saving these body parts for? What was he going to do with them? Yeah, well, you know. Was he going to eat them? I I do believe he ate some, yeah. He was, yeah, he was a cannibal. He was a Milwaukee cannibal. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the rest of the apartment, investigators discovered two entire skeletons, a pair of severed hands, two severed and preserved penises, 
a mummified scalp. And in the 57 gallon drum, there were actually three more dismembered torsos dissolving in the acid solution. There were 74 Polaroid pictures detailing the dismemberments. The chief medical examiner later said, quote, it was more like dismantling someone's museum than an actual crime scene. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to quickly tell you this sentencing. Again, this is not about covering this story as a whole. Um, If I did, we would have had like over four hours of coverage, which would have been like a month of Dahmer alone. Yeah. Um, I really just wanted to go through and cover each victim. Yeah. Um, And if you weren't counting, like you weren't. I wasn't. Tracy Edwards did not die. Uh, He was the 18th victim, but lived. Um, He's the one that got Jeffrey caught. So there were 17 victims. 18th one lived. On February 15th, the day after Valentine's Day in 1992, Jeff was charged with 15 counts of first-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison plus 10 years for the first two counts. So that was by Judge Lawrence Graham. The remaining 13 counts carried a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment plus 70 years. The death penalty was actually not an option. Oh, since Wisconsin had abolished capital punishment in 1853. Three months after his conviction in Milwaukee, Jeff was actually extradited to Ohio to be tried for the murder of his first victim, Stephen Hicks. So Jeff again pleaded guilty to the charges. He pled guilty. So kudos to him on that. Um, And was sentenced to a 16th term of life imprisonment on May 1st, 1992. What about... Uh, the eating, the can- the cannibalism. That's actually a great question. I have an answer for you. If you remember back in part one, I told you that I became very yeah. interested in this. Yeah. Uh, cannibalism is legal in every state except uh, Idaho. What? It's, it's legal. And it's actually legal in a bunch of countries. Uh, but it's actually hard to get away with because it's illegal to murder someone. It's also illegal to disturb a corpse. So he's not getting charged for cannibalism. He's getting charged for murder. Do you see what I mean? It's legal to eat somebody or it's legal to eat flesh. But in order to get there, it's it's illegal. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So I do want to say that it is legal to eat yourself. That's not right. A man actually did that in the U.S. On purpose. Yes, actually. Um, so he was in a motorcycle accident in 2016. Just a few years ago. He ended up having to have his leg amputated. And the thing is, is like he had had cannibalism talks with his friends. Prior uh, to the accident? Yeah. Okay. So... um he asked the doctors after his leg was amputated, hey, he can I keep that? Yeah, you can do that. You can ask to keep that shit. I did not know this. And then he ate it? So then he and 10 of his friends wanted to taste human meat. So he was like calling up his buddies like, hey, so remember when we wanted to, you know, see what human meat tastes like? I got you. My leg, we got that chopped off because it was useless anyway. So... We're going to have that. And his friends were like, cool. 
That was totally legal. Nobody can get in trouble for that. No. I don't want to do anything like that. If you lose a body part, do not ask me to taste it with you. Because I will not. They made tacos. No. He said it tasted like buffalo. I've never had buffalo. How the hell would we know what buffalo tasted like? We ain't eating no buffalo. I don't know. I had frog legs. They tasted like chicken wings. Yeah, they do. They're delicious. So I don't know what I taste like. Well, salt and pepper goes a long way, I guess. I don't know. But so to answer your question, cannibalism is I mean, if we put legal. some feta on it, it might taste really You <laughs> would eat that in an instant. I could make you a Greek human flesh taco. Greek human flesh taco with feta on it. And you would devour it. <laughs> you would be like, this is so good. Where did you get the meat? Oh, glad you asked. I don't know if you noticed, but I have slimmed down some. <laughs> <laughs> So, totally legal. Uh, So, Jeffrey Dahmer was imprisoned at the Columbia Correctional Institute in Portage, Wisconsin. So, for the first year, he was actually placed in solitary confinement due to, like, concerns for his physical safety from other inmates. Because they wanted to, like, attack him? Probably. I wouldn't doubt it. But with his consent, after one year, he was actually transferred to, like, a less secure unit where he was assigned to a two-hour daily work detail cleaning the toilet block. Yeah. Ew. But Jeff had requested to Detective Murphy that he be given a copy of the Bible. Uh, This request was actually granted, and Jeffrey Dahmer gradually devoted himself to Christianity and became a born-again Christian. And I know that people are skeptical of that. And James and I have had a lengthy talk because, do you remember Velma? Yeah, she was not a born again Christian. I do not believe she was I a born again anything. I do not believe she anything. was a born again anything. Nothing. No. Um, and I've had I do believe explain. it happens. Yes. And honestly, I do think that Jeffrey did. Um, because from the get-go, Jeffrey has owned up to everything he has done. He understands that it was wrong. Um, he pled guilty. He, he feels like he should be dead for it. He's like, I've just... Uh, I want to know, was he asked why he did it? I, I'm sure that they did. I, you're going to have to watch the shows. And after you do watch the monster show, I want you to immediately watch the Jeffrey Dahmer tapes because that goes into it. That's what I need to know. That, yeah. You're, you're not getting the full story. I want you to listen to the Jeffrey Dahmer tapes because that really gets you. Um... I do want to say that in May of 1994, Jeffrey Dahmer was actually baptized by Roy Ratcliffe, which is a minister in the Church of Christ in the prison. He was, he was, he took him in, into the prison whirlpool and baptized him. They have a whirlpool in prison? You know. They get to lift weights, work out, study, go to college, free medical, meals. This is they have a whirlpool? This is why I have my prison jar. I'm not against my next vacation. I don't being understand to prison. how it's so good. They have iPads now, too. They, they have iPads. So, you want to hear something ironic? Oh, God. What? Ironically, the same day that Jeffrey Dahmer was baptized, 193 miles away... In Stateville Correctional Center in Illinois, 
John Wayne Gacy was being executed for his crimes. On the same day. Exact same day. And he murdered at least 33 young males. So, remember everything that Jeffrey Dahmer said and you and I were like, oh. Like, he knew he was done. He he was, yeah. like, relieved. John Wayne Gacy's last words were, kiss my ass. Those were his last words. Yeah, they said, do you have any last words? He said, kiss my ass. If that tells you anything between the two. You know? So, I'm not going to linger here much longer. I do want to wrap this up with talking about the victims and who they were. I found an article by J.R. Radcliffe of the Milwaukee Journal Centile that describes each person um, and who they were before they became just a numbered victim to Jeffrey Dahmer. So, number one, so that you can uh, follow along with where we are here. Number one, 18-year-old Stephen Hicks' father, Richard, described his son as a deeply caring person. He told an anecdote. Anecdote? To the Associated Press about a hunting trip where Stephen shot a rabbit and, quote unquote, was so proud as he could be. And then he bawled his eyes out. That really says a lot right there. Yeah. Number two, 28-year-old Stephen Tuomi is the only murder victim in Milwaukee that Jeffrey was not charged for. Why? Lack of evidence. Jeffrey did not recall details, but believes he did kill the young man. Uh, Stephen worked as a short order cook in Milwaukee in a restaurant. Number three, 14-year-old Jamie Doxator was nearly six feet tall. Yeah. He was half Stockbridge and part Oneida, and he liked to play pool and ride his bike. He was the oldest of four children. His mother, Debbie Vega, recalled, quote, one of my son's favorite sayings from the Bible was, forgive them for they know not what they do. Number four, 25-year-old Richard Guerrero hailed from a family of Mexican descent. His sister said, even when her brother got into trouble with the law, the first thing he did was call his mother. He did not that day. They weren't sure where he was. Richard sometimes babysat his 20, or his two-year-old niece, I almost said 22-year-old. It's two. Number five, 24-year-old Anthony Sears managed a Baker's Square in Milwaukee. He aspired to be a model and was saving money to leave Milwaukee. He was also wanted to get married to his girlfriend as soon as he had enough money. <coughs> Number six, 33-year-old Ricky Beeks, who often went by the alias Raymond Smith. And it wasn't actually weird for him to be gone for like long stretches. He had been living with his half-sister, who took him in after he'd been released from prison. He had a 10-year-old daughter who lived in Rockford, Illinois. Number seven, 28-year-old Eddie Smith was called the, oh, I'm going to say this wrong, the Shaka, the Shake, the Shake. It's the Shake. I remember now because I did Google Translate, the Shake. Mainly because he frequently wore like a turban-like wrap around his head. He was also an aspiring model. Number eight. 24-year-old Ernest Miller was about to start classes at an arts college in Chicago and hoped to become a professional dancer. 
His aunt, Vivian Miller, said he was a talented dancer. He was singing and performing when he was younger and used to sing at church. This is just all so sad. Yeah, it is. Number nine. We're only at number nine. 23-year-old David Thomas was a father to a two-year-old daughter. His ex-girlfriend, Chandra Beanland, said that he was a fun-loving guy with a penchant for hustling. Number 10. 18-year-old Curtis Strotter was a high school dropout who joined Gay Youth Milwaukee at the age of 15 and had a job as a nursing assistant. He was planning to get his high school equivalency certificate and then attend modeling school. 11-year-old, 11, just number 11, not 11-year-old, 11. 19-year-old 11. Iral Lindsay was the youngest of six children and he had a job making plastic figures. I don't either. Number 12, 31-year-old Anthony Hughes, also known as Tony Hughes, the one that um, really got me. Um, he had come back home to visit his family in Milwaukee from Madison, where he lived. He was deaf, a condition that was brought on after a bottle, battle of pneumonia as an infant. He could read lips and communicate through sign language, as well as written notes. At trial, his mother read a poem written by a friend, which I'll read here. Quote, Mom, I'm gone. My hope, my breath, my want to live have been taken away from me unwillingly. But yet, I'm not far away. When you get cold, I wrap my arms around you to warm you. If you get sad, I softly grab your heart and cheer you up. If you smile, I'm smiling right along with you. When you cry, take one teardrop and place it outside your window ledge. And when I pass by, I'll exchange it for one of mine. Two fingers and one thumb, Mom. End of quote. She then held up two fingers and one thumb, the symbol for I love you in sign language. Nope. Yeah. But he called it two fingers, one thumb. Um, number 13. 14-year-old Karan... Conorick Synthesymphone and his family were from Laos. They moved in November of 1980 because of worsening conditions after the communist takeover in 1975. The father was a farmer in Laos and came with his wife Samdi and nine children. Conorak regularly played soccer at Mitchell Park and was a freshman. Number 14, 20-year-old Matt Turner was a native of Flint, Michigan, weirdly enough. But he lived in Chicago and aspired to be a model. A model. Number 15, 23-year-old Jeremiah Weinberger, a native of Puerto Rico, lived in Chicago and worked as a customer service rep representative for a video store. His roommate, Tim Gideon, said, quote, he loved art and was very meticulous. His desk was always straight and he knew where everything was. He was dressed nice and always worried about what he wore and how he looked. Number 16, 23-year-old Oliver Lacey was the youngest of three. He had a two-year-old son and was engaged to be married. Originally, he was from Oak Park, Illinois. He ran track at River Forest High School. His mother, Catherine, described her son as very outspoken. 
He wore a cross around his neck that belonged to his late father, and he had moved to Milwaukee from Chicago within months of his father's death. Number 17, 25-year-old Joseph Bradhoff had recently moved to Milwaukee and lived in an apartment rented by his brother Donald. He was looking for work. He recently lived in Illinois and Minnesota. He had a wife and three children in Minnesota with ages ranging from, ranging from two to seven. He loved sports and fishing. And because Tracy Edwards is still a victim of Dahmer even though he lived, Tracy Edwards was actually never the same after his encounter with Dahmer. He ended up becoming homeless and then often went from one shelter to another. He was indicted in Toledo, Mississippi for sexual battery, which involved a 14-year-old girl. He proceeded to get charged with numerous crimes, which included things like property damage and drug possession. But in July of 2011, exactly two decades after he escaped from Jeffrey, he was arrested for attempting to throw a man off the Milwaukee Bridge and kill him. After serving time for that, Nobody knows where he is now. Oh, my God. And that is the case of uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Thoughts, Amanda? I have so many. Thoughts? And, thoughts I, can't, I, can't, I can't say until after I, I watch. Okay. Well, um, I don't want you to watch until we cover yeah, next week's and one more week because they're all going to tie together. This is a series. Um, after that, why don't we plan for our following episode to be thoughts and opinions? Yeah. Yeah. We'll come back and we'll reconvene then. Yeah. Uh, that'll be a really good idea. And we'll just have a recap at uh, probably the beginning of December. Yes. So yes. Um, we want you to come back next week. Uh, because we have the second segment of this series. In the meantime, find and contact us on our social medias. Um, and meet us here every Friday when the clike, the clike, the clike, the clike. You do realize nobody can see you, right? Words are so hard. It's better with the visuals that you get, Amanda. <laughs> Sometime we should totally video ourselves. I can't. I can't. I can't. I just can't. You should probably just video me sometime. I but yep. <laughs> next next week I'm gonna video the entire. No, that's not a good idea. I do certain things during recording that should not be recorded. Like, like the farting that I had to take out of here. That was you! Lies. Straight up lies. I will bring in the witness that is standing outside the door right now. I'm sure. It was Landon. <laughs> it was Landon. Okay, so what I wanted to say was come back, meet us here every Friday day when the clock strikes 1.13 for a new episode. <laughs> Are you a human clock? Yes. Yes. Wait, am I going the wrong way? I, you don't even know. I think, I'm not, according to you. Like, if you're looking. Yeah, according to me, you look correct as a clock. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's eight o'clock. <laughs> Rolf, Rolf got to us. <laughs> that sounds so.
so fake. Give me your phone. Yes, Officer Rolf. <laughs> Shut up. There's no Officer Rolf. <laughs> that just sounds like Paw Patrol. <laughs> So...